Why do people love mysteries? And what does that say about us as humans? We discuss this and more with special guest Bose Harrington on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers. I am your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, and legend in my own mind. With me, as always, is my irritatingly irreplaceable co-host. <laughs> Nathan Clarkson, uh, author, actor, and lover of alliterations. Ooh, very nice. Well, no wonder you like it here. <laughs> well, today we have with us a very special guest. He is Bose Harrington. Hello. He is what? Oh, hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> I was like, wait, did I get that wrong? <laughs> I thought you were correcting me. Anyway, yes, he is an author, online personality behind the enormously popular Twitter account, The Library Owl, and Agatha Christie expert. He is the brave, the bold, the beautiful, Bose Harrington. Bose, welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> we're glad to have you. Uh, so I, I asked Bose to be on because... Bose is um, one of the best friends of my sister, who uh, all of you have heard on the show, Joy Clarkson. Mm. And Bose and her connect very much over literature, uh, books, and very pithy tweets, um, mm. which yeah. I am in awe of because I, I have no pithy <laughs> tweets to offer the world, None. so I just sit back and enjoy the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Bo is, Bose is an, is an Agatha Christie expert, as you said. And I was recently talking, Bose, is it true that you have written a review for every single one of the BBC Poirot uh, series? Yes, I've ranked them from worst to best. Wow, okay, I gotta ask, uh, for any of the Inside Baseball listeners who love the show as much as me and my family do, what is the best episode of the BBC Poirot? When I made this list a few years ago, I ranked Peril at Endhouse from the second or third season at number one, but I think if you ask me now, it would go back and forth between either that or Evil Under the Sun from season eight. Ooh, that's a good one. I've seen that three or four times. That is really good. So, Which is the worst? I think Elephants Can Remember from season 12 or 13. A lot of the ones I, in season 12 and 13 were not good. I didn't hate that one, but I know what you mean. It doesn't have quite the, the original magic of a lot of the ones that we kind of came to know and love. But Joseph, tell us what we are talking about today and why the Agatha Christie and Poirot and murder mysteries are relevant to the discussion we're having right now. Ooh, well, well done with that nice segue, man. So, <laughs> to, this is why we have you on the show. Today, we are talking about why people love mysteries, particularly the mystery genre. Mystery fiction is a young genre that exploded into popularity in the 19th century, arguably with Edgar Allan Poe's The Murder in the Rue Morgue. I believe I've got that right. Soon followed by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes mysteries and an embarrassment of other iconic characters excuse me, iconic writers like Dorothy Sayers, G.K. Chesterton, Agatha Christie, and iconic characters like Poirot, Miss Marple, both created by Agatha Christie, The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, etc. The genre has been adapted constantly into popular TV and movies, with only last year's Ryan Johnson's whodunit mystery thriller Knives Out becoming a breakout success and winning or being nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. So, as we talked before, Bose Arrington, you have ranked every episode of BBC's adaptation of Agatha Christie's Poirot, which already makes you my mom's favorite guest we've had on this show. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
Why do you think that people love mysteries? And what does that say about us as humans? And as I often say to my guests, yes, that question is incredibly broad. Yes, feel free to take it in any direction you want. <laughs> well, there's multiple layers to that question. On the one hand, as, uh, as people who love stories, we like being drawn into things that we don't quite understand. Um, there's this wonderful quote by suspense novelist Lee Child who wrote the Jack Reacher series, which is wonderful. Hmm. And he says, if you want to hook a reader every time, you get them asking a question hmm. at the beginning of the story and you deliberately withhold the answer until the end of the story. Hmm. And he said, it's cheap and <laughs> uh, meretricious, but it works every time. Um, so there's the dramatic viewpoint. Humans are drawn to drama and we're innately curious. Hmm. There's also the theological perspective. And Ooh, we love that. Something really interesting uh, that I've noticed is that a lot of the Golden Age writers were like priests or theology mm. students or were intensely Christian more so than the people around them. And uh, like uh, Father Ronald Knox was a priest and he wrote mystery novels in his spare time. G.K. Chesterton's Father Brown was obviously a right. priest. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I suspect W.H. Auden, the poet, actually wrote an essay about this, about the connection between theology and mystery novels. And I tend to agree with him that we, we see chaos in the world and we don't know what to make of it. And mm -hmm. mysteries give us a way of managing the chaos and they also give us a way to think about and understand death. Mm. Um, there's this... You know the writer Jan Martel who wrote Life of Pi, that famous book? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he wrote a second book, and in this second book, there's a random rant that this character gives uh, in the middle of the book about Agatha Christie and why she's the most popular author in the history of the world. And <laughs> it's like a page long, but he basically says, um, Agatha Christie is a modern apostle. Mm. And... Yeah. If you, if you shine a light over her books, they have the same spiritual geography as the four Gospels, but they are oh. tailored to a more secular age in which we don't quite believe as much as we used to. And so she has to speak in a veiled way, and she speaks through mystery novels. And uh, she says mystery novels do the same thing the four Gospels did, is they uh, show us how to reconcile death and suffering, how to put our minds around it. And he said, he goes on to say, it's not a coincidence that the, the name Christ is actually in her last name, Agatha Christie. Christ is hiding there in her mm. name and in her books. Wow. I've never thought of that before. You know, it, it is interesting to me. And you mentioned it's making sense of the chaos in the world. And I really like that because I think that's what draws me to mysteries. You know, uh, both Joseph and I recently on accident uh, read the book Walking on Water by Madeline Lingle. And, and she, she talks about how artists take chaos and make order of it. That's what God does in the universe. He takes to chaos and he makes order out of it. He takes even, you know, uh, even our lives, he takes chaos and makes order of it. And I think that when we watch mysteries, that 
uh, it does something when I watch Misty, I'll, I'll speak personally, it does something to me where I can watch the process of chaos, of darkness, of evil right. be righted. It takes something um, that is wrong with the world and the universe, and we intrinsically know this, and through whatever detective or uh, main character we have in the story, be that Sherlock Holmes, be that Poirot, or be that in the modern uh, mysteries like Law and Order, what we see is that someone is writing the world. Someone is bringing order into the chaos of the world. And I think that's a really important thing because I think mysteries can be written off by a lot of people as um, either frivolous, which I, th I think is vastly untrue, or to right. some people, uh, especially uh, spiritual people, Christians, they would say, oh, you shouldn't uh, you know, read books about murder. And when I watch them, when I read them, what I find is a world being made right, a world taken from chaos into order. And I think uh, it's interesting to watch the detective kind of take on this Christ figure role of bringing right. order into the world. And that's why I've always loved mysteries. I was raised on mysteries. Like we've mentioned, I've seen every Paul Rowe episode. I've seen every Sherlock episode. I've seen Miss Marples. I've, you mentioned G.K. Chesterton. I listened to um, books on tape because I was a kid with ADHD. Um, all, the, uh, all the Father Browns, which I absolutely loved, but they all uh, had something that really connected deeply in my soul. And as an actor, I will say some of my favorite projects I've got to work on have been mysteries. I got to do a, um, a show last year called Dead of Winter. And I play a bumbling cop. Um, you, can go, you can go see it on- Typecasting. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of cops lately. I used to play a lot of villains. Like my, you know, there's kind of this, um, the dues you have to pay when you're an actor in New York and everyone kind of yes, has to- the heavy. You know, it's like yeah. a, a, the heavy, it was a yeah. rite of passage to be on Law and Order. And I was on Law and Order for about 2.3 seconds, but I play- <laughs> um, who what the main character thinks is a stalker so i made my appearance and you can go see me in one of the episodes if you find me i don't know i'll buy you you know like a ten dollar gift certificate to uh, your favorite your favorite cafe but um so <laughs> aside from just loving them um at reading and, and and watching them it has been really fun for me to be a part of mysteries too but i do think there is that an, that aspect of them that it's bringing bringing order out of chaos and i think that is what really connects us and people to mysteries and I think that explains sort of the paradox of mysteries is that they're, or, or can be gruesome, but are also weirdly comforting. And mm -hmm. people who are in, in any way reflective start to wonder, why do I find these gruesome stories so soothing? And mm -hmm. I suspect it's because we, we are sort of taken through the process of watching a crime unfold but then watching it be resolved by the detective's wits and we know that the detective is going to solve it by the end of the episode mm. there aren't many mysteries that don't do that and <laughs> so we're we're putting ourselves through a process of vicarious healing and mm. the priest is sort of or the detective is sort of a priest figure walking us through that mm. sometimes explicitly That's sometimes implicitly that's beautiful. No, I, I think it's absolutely true. And it's funny you mentioned that some people have objected to mysteries because they're too gruesome. I think that it's not that I like anything gruesome or macabre. It's, right. it's that my life and the world around me feels gruesome very often. And I, and I feel like unless there was that gruesome aspect, it wouldn't hit home quite as hard. It wouldn't have the weight 
when the detective makes the world right and figures it out and, and, and conquers evil. And so to me, often the ones that have the most gruesome beginnings but are put right and there's justice done in the world are the ones that actually are most effective. Not because I, I find any sort of titillation or enjoyment from the gruesome aspect, but it can connect to my world because my world often feels, and I think many of our worlds often feel gruesome and we are longing for our worlds to be made right for a detective to come in and figure out what has gone wrong and to set the world right in our own lives joseph what do you think um i'm really entertained by just listening to you guys but i will <laughs> i mean also slightly frustrated because i keep thinking of things to say and you keep already saying them so i will try to think of things you say you haven't already said um one of the things i think it's really fascinating you know what you're talking about regarding you know a world that's in chaos that needs to be put right. And yes, Madeline Langle talked about not only, you know, she talked about storytelling and art itself as a process of any piece of art worth its salt is making cosmos out of chaos. And how, mm. you know, it's, you know, when you're writing, you're taking lines and turning them into letters and turning, taking letters and forming them into words and you taking sentences and then books and the the process of, we live in a world that's, that's chaotic, that, that has a bunch of facts and somebody needs to take those facts and turn them into a story. And that's the thing is that that's what all storytelling is, but it's taking a bunch of facts and or making up facts, whatever it is, and turning them into a story. And the, what I find really interesting is how you talk about, you know, you mentioned a lot of things, how this is a story that acknowledges evil in the world and acknowledges chaos, but actually says that the chaos is a deception because it's not actually chaotic you have, all you have to do is discover the truth and there's meaning behind it. Because there's a lot of mm. people who talk about the fact that we impose meaning upon a chaotic world, but mysteries talk about the fact that no, the world isn't actually chaotic. We are not imposing meaning on it. We're discovering the meaning that is already there. Um, Idris Elba starred in the uh, TV show Luther. And there's a line in the first episode where he's, you know, he's getting, his relationship with his wife is broken apart. And then his, he asks why, why, why is it that you don't want to be married to him anymore? And she says, you know, these things just happen. And he says, no, things don't just happen. There are laws, physical laws. Everything happens for a reason. And the ethos of the mystery is that, and of course you're right, I hadn't thought of this exactly before, but there is a Christ figure in the mystery you know, the, the, in the detective who is able to set things right and discover, and through his interpretation of events, everything becomes right. And one thing that's in the Bible a lot is that everything in the world requires an interpreter. One of my uh, Bible teachers, um, Dr. Drew Johnson, pointed out the fact that Moses, you know, when, when, the, when the waves were going to, when they had to like part the Red Sea, when Moses, uh, God was going to part the Red Sea, um, somebody had to tell everyone, Moses had to tell everyone, hey, there's this thing that's going to happen. And by the way, when it happens, I want you to know that God did it. Because facts are not self-evident. Somebody, there needs to be an interpreter to tell you how to see these things. Um, and I think it's not a coincidence that as you're bringing this up, you get, is that the first fandom, as we understand it today, and then we'll do a whole episode on fandom later. But the, the first uh, time that there was like a community um, that was recorded built around a character, a fictional character that we now see all the time with superheroes and Star Trek and all that kind of thing. And even My Little Pony. The first one that's recorded is of Sherlock Holmes. 
And mm. it, those came about right after his character died in the, uh, in, the, um, in the books, in the novels. And so there really is a sense in which um, people are really did, these mystery novels, novels and characters did function in a, uh, a Christ-like fashion, in a way of giving meaning to a world that it sort of abandoned the, or for a lot of it, the, um, the sort of a Christology of the universe. Now, I want to specifically ask you, Bose, when you say that it helps us understand death, what do mystery novels say about death that is um, comforting? Is it just that, oh, there's justice that comes to it? Or what, what specifically do mysteries tell us about death that is comforting or it gives it meaning? Well, to answer that, I would like to go back to something you were saying a minute ago about the tragedy in the world, um, which is something that I also talked about in my mystery podcast with Joy. Um, hmm. I think another important facet of the mystery genre is that they do not lie to us, that mm. they are very upfront about the fact that there is death and tragedy in the world. They say there is a sickness deep down things. And, uh, but what they do with this, um, they, they present us the, the truth of original sin, but then they take that and they go, um, it doesn't end here. The mm. murderer does not triumph death does not triumph because um uh if if you think about murder it's what it is fundamentally is the murderer's way of attempting to be more powerful than life itself saying mm -hmm. i have the power to take this person out of the world and what, what the resurrection of Jesus did was to say, no, there's something more powerful than that. There's something more powerful than death and evil. And uh, so in its own way, in sort of a, a shadowy way, the mystery novel and the detective is saying the same thing, uh, that uh, the murderer is not going to get away with this, that there is love and justice, and they are ultimately more powerful. And there is a day of reckoning that is coming. There is a day of judgment that is coming. Mm. You know, I never thought I would get chills on an episode talking about <laughs> yeah. murder mysteries. Bose, that is beautiful. And, it, and it, I agree with every last syllable of that. It is, it is so interesting to me how powerful, just with a little exploring of the depths of why we like mysteries, these are and how much they really connect to us and our human desire um, on a very deep level. So that, that's absolutely beautiful. You know, another thing I was also thinking about is um, and as we're thinking about these detectives, right? You know, I think nowadays we have a lot of movies and obviously I'm a big, a big fan of Avengers um, and, uh, and yeah. any kind of action film. Those are fun. I like the Jason Bournes and the James Bonds. Mm -hmm. But the thing that strikes me about many of the, the lead characters in um, these detective and mystery uh, movies, shows, books, are they are not the people who are walking in with bulging muscles and guns and you know punching bad guys they're the ones who who approach the world and evil and darkness and great darkness and great foes with their minds you know if you look at the character of poirot um he is a small um belgian belgian man uh, he's fastidious he's particular he is um bald um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm specifically describing uh, David Suchet's book. Right, yeah. um, because what other is there? <laughs> kind of. Um, <laughs> but, and, and he is 
uh, and, and he's particular and um, some would even say delicate, yet this small, particular, delicate um, man stands in the face of evil and says no. And that is a weirdly inspiring thing because I think we all feel weak in many ways. You know, when, when I'm watching um, Jason Bourne and James Bond, I, you know, I enjoy watching it, but I don't feel like I'm that guy. I'm not the guy who can walk in and punch, you know, 10 guys in the face with my physical might. But what I love about Poirot and Miss Marple, she's a small old woman. Yep. And she stands in the face of evil. Look at even the modern iteration of, um, of Sherlock. He's a mentally, um, uh, a mentally ill uh, in many ways um, person who doesn't understand the world and relationships, yet he is the one who brings the world back into order. And so what's interesting to me is that the detective, um, like Jesus, doesn't overcome evil through his physical uh, presence and his confidence and his swagger. He does it through his mind, through his heart, through looking at the realities of life. And I think that's very comforting um, for us who don't feel like these macho guys who could just, you know, take out a room of bad guys like the Avengers can. And instead you see that someone can overcome evil um, in a very different kind of way than we often see it portrayed uh, in movies. And I think that's how you see Jesus do it. You know, he kept, you know, his, his existence here on earth, uh, his followers would constantly say, stand up against Rome, stand up against, you know, whoever is, is coming against us with swords, we'll fight them back. And Jesus was gentle. He was kind. He, but he wasn't weak. He was strong and he stood in the face of evil while still holding a gentleness and a kindness um, that I think, that I think you see reflected in uh, many of the great detective and mystery stories. Uh, so that's just a sidebar, but I was just thinking of that as we were talking, which is kind of interesting to me. That's beautiful. And one of the things, one of the reasons I think the Harry Potter books were so successful is that they did the same thing. She intentionally mm. made Harry weak, vulnerable, mm. a teenager. He's not macho, he doesn't have any swagger. He only knows how to do three spells maybe two. <laughs> and, uh, but what I find really fascinating because I've studied those books a lot is that they are at heart, they are not really fantasy novels, they are mystery novels. Mm. And, uh, in Hot each, tea, provocative stuff that's <laughs> on overthinkers. Sorry, go ahead. Harry is actually solving a, a whodunit. He has to figure out who is misleading him, who is trying to kill him. And then he thinks it's one person, but it's actually someone else. And uh, uh, this was very much intentional on Rowling's part. She is a massive Agatha Christie fan. And she has- uh, Fascinating. Over and over again in interviews, she said, when I was writing these books, I studied two things. I studied alchemy and I studied the mystery novels of Agatha Christie. And that's where I got my plots. Wow. So, that's interesting. Now, huh. one thing, so here's something interesting question. Do you think that there are any negative lessons that we learn from mystery novels? Because, you know, we're all big fans of mystery novels, but I think it is important to oftentimes look at, you know, are there any stories that these stories are telling us that maybe tell us something a little bit false about the world or that we need to be careful not to take um, certain lessons that are in it and apply it uh, to all places of life. So are there any things that sometimes you look at mystery novels, whether it's the genre as a whole or whether things in some popular versions of mystery novels or shows or movies that you think um, would, people would be uh, better to not um, imbibe wholesale? 
Admittedly, I'm a little biased, so I would say no. <laughs> yeah, my first reaction is uh, absolutely no, not. none. They do not exist. <laughs> I'd, I'd say if there's anything, and I want to hear what Bose thinks as well. If there's anything to be said, I think there can be a disappointment because one thing I love about mysteries is that, like you, you mentioned, Bose, the mystery will be solved and that. Um, ultimately things will be figured out. And I find very often in my life, I don't get justice. And I find very often in my life, I don't have my problem solved. And at the end of an hour episode of you know my life, I'm still hurting and I'm still left in kind of this what's going on mode. And so I think that can be a hard thing in the immediate. But I think ultimately, if we take mysteries and, and, and look at them more of an entire life kind of thing, what we see is that no, our problems won't be solved right now. I think we're in the middle of a mystery yeah. right now. Our lives are all in the middle of mysteries. And we're, sometimes we're gonna want, want our lives to be the end of the mystery when the detective sums everything up and we have all the answers. But I think sometimes there's a frustration in wanting the mystery to be summed up now. And I sometimes feel like I'm still in the mystery, picking up clues, trying to understand and trying to walk with God so he can show me what's going on eventually. But I do think um, that also speaks to the strength of them as well is that, ultimately things will be set right in the world. So that's literally my only criticism of mysteries and it's not <laughs> even a criticism. So <laughs> there's this great line in Jan Martel's essay about Agatha Christie, where he says, we are all living in the middle of a mystery novel of which we are the victim. Wow. Ooh, that's really good. Yeah. Wow. I, I would say that maybe there are two things I would suggest and I feel free to push back on me because that will only make the podcast more entertaining. Um, <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> I know you will. Uh, but I want to make sure Bose feels that permission too. Um, but the, uh, is that a couple things. One is that the idea that, um, uh, that, that the answers and the salvation will come from the people who are smart enough. Hmm. Um, and that's, something that is really good you know intelligence is really good but it's you know it this did come about these these you know the mystery genre came about certainly in the enlightenment era and it's one thing that sort of disappointed people you know sort of in world war one and and certain things and we find oh the smart people um aren't always the ones who who solve all the things problems sometimes the smart people make problems worse because they build gas chambers, they build, you know, and, and they do all sorts of atrocities or they are blinded by their own prejudices and biases. So I think to a certain degree, I think there's interesting, like you, know, you talked about this recent, you know, Sherlock show. One thing it tried to, see, tried to emphasize was the, was the aspect that, yes, he was very brilliant, but he also had incredible weaknesses that he needed someone like Watson to compensate for him. And so I thought that was a sort of a mature sometimes look. And of course, that was right from the beginning of, of the Sherlock Holmes um, uh, stuff too, that, uh, that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did to some degree. Um, I would also say the second thing is that there, there can be a knee-jerk reaction to when something bad happens to say, um, no, I don't like what I've seen. I'm going to um, make up a, a story that I about it that makes sense to me based on my own biases and prejudices. And so I'm sort of thinking about sort of the conspiracy theory um, mm -hmm. that, you know, you have, you know, you have in a lot of these mystery novels, you have, oh, it was ruled a suicide. And that's what all the evidence says. But I really, but then the detective says, ah, but I have an intuition about something, you know, that doesn't make sense. And so I'm going to say that it's a murder. And there is a sort of 
temptation that I think we can have because if something bad happens and the simple explanation, the sort of Occam's razor is something we don't want to believe, I think to a certain degree we can be trained and to some degree mystery novels are to blame for this, but although I think that they're mostly not, but I think that we can train ourselves to say, um, no, I would rather believe something, a more complicated truth that's more satisfying and, uh, and that there's some villain uh, behind this and uh, I'm going to, um, so I'm going to believe that instead. I'm going to believe it's much more of a, something that fits me, fits my, uh, fits my preferences. Um, and I think that that's something that could potentially um, be a wrong lesson you could take from mystery novels. So he asserted essentially um, that one, that smarts, if you rely on <clears throat> intelligence and intelligent people too much, um, that can be a flaw <clears throat> in thinking and mysteries tend to rely on intelligent people using their smarts. And then the second is with coming up uh, that with mysteries, if we apply that to the world, we can come up with can more conspiratorial things as, as opposed to accepting reality. Did I sum that up? Yeah, pretty much. Accurately? Yep. So um, any thoughts on that, uh, Bose? I think the biggest deception that mysteries convey is that English villages are the deadliest place in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that murders That's just you. happen wherever Poirot and Sherlock and... Uh, and <laughs> Although arguably there's some truth to that too because um, it pushes back against the idea that small towns are places that are idyllic and pastoral and where nothing bad mm. ever happens. Also true. Also true. They shine a light on the, the small evils that we commit constantly. Uh, if anyone who's grown up in a small town knows that it can be the wickedest place on earth. So oh, yes. maybe they're right about that too. <laughs> maybe. That's interesting. Yeah, that is, I never thought about that, how murder mysteries, especially many of, much of whom, many of whom take, uh, of which, sorry, well, a lot of, <laughs> I'll get this into thrice, I promise. <laughs> um, murder mysteries very often take place in small idyllic towns. Yeah. Um, in which we often have this false sense of um, perfection and anywhere that humans gather you're going to find I hate to say it this might sound a little uh, melodramatic but evil and it does really shine a light on evil existing uh, every in every corner of our world and and the necessity to make it right but Joseph I, I will take issue with a couple of things you said one I understand where you're coming from with smart people um, you know the reliance on smart people uh, fixing everything and how intelligence um, can be and maybe, uh, I don't know, a crutch uh, sure. per se. Um, but I would say I'd, I'd like to refer to a different definition of intelligence that is found in Father Giussani, who is a great philosopher, theologian. Oh, Father um, Oh, yes. He's, he's, <laughs> you should read him. He's amazing. But he, he talks about intelligence in a way that's different from the world uh, that we talk about it in, that the world has come to know this definition. And he says, intelligent, intelligence is a matter of attention, hmm. um, which I think is really interesting because it's not about IQ level. It's not about education. It's not about which college degree or which school you went to. It's not about how much money you get paid. He says, intelligence is a matter of attention. Are you paying attention hmm. to the things of life, the small things of life? And, and he was referring to, we, you know, the, the intelligent people of the world aren't the ones who did the best on the IQ or got the best SAT score. The intelligent people are the ones who notice that God um, is living in even the smallest minute details of life. And so I think 
you are right to the degree that if we rely on just the kind of human-defined intelligence, uh, which is admittedly often found in these books, then yes, that can be a crutch. But I, but I would say that intelligence doesn't necessarily have to do with, um, uh, again, IQ score. It has to do with a matter of attention. Are you paying attention to the reality and the truth of life? And I think that's what the detectives do in these stories. And also, you know, we talk about the smart people, quote unquote, of life having done terrible things, like you mentioned um, in World War II during the Holocaust and, and, you know, throughout history and things like this. But I would actually say those terrible things were actually done out of their ignorance. Those, those terrible atrocities were actually done out of a place of, um, dare I say it, stupidity and idiocy, because I don't think um, that any intelligent person who's paying attention to the value of life will do those things. And on, a, and on the conspiracy level, I actually disagree with you pretty wholeheartedly on this one um, because I do think humans have a tendency to create conspiracies and, and see, you know, G.K. Chesterton talks about this in the orthodoxy, see too much sense where there isn't any. Um, sure, yeah. But I think what I love about mysteries is that you do pretty much every single one has the guy, you know, whether it's Jap or whether it's um, whoever, who kind of comes up with the, the, the answer that best suits what they want. Maybe it's um, a bit of a biased answer because they want a job raise and they, and they need to, you know, wrap it up quickly or wh whatever it is. Um, and, and I think you see that a lot, but what I love about detectives is they are actually, they are servants of truth. They will always keep on going until the full truth is realized, even when everyone thinks something different and has a different narrative that better fits their life. The detectives of these stories, at least the ones we've mentioned, are very often the only ones who are actually seeking the full truth of what's going on. Now, it'd be interesting, but do but most people who believe in conspiracy theories also believe that they are the only ones who are seeking the actual truth of what's really going on. So I guess the question would be, what um, separates the two? Is it a willingness to be able to believe a truth that even that you don't want to believe? And do we see the um, detectives doing that, where believing something that's true, even if they don't want to believe it? Bose, what do you think? I feel like Poirot many times doesn't want to believe- Ah, there you go. That um, whether his friend or someone has done something that actually makes him sad to uh, serve the truth. Is, is that true? Is that found in mysteries? Well, it's normally a beautiful woman. He tends to. <laughs> <laughs> like it is for all of us. Yes. <laughs> We're always giving them free passes. Otherwise, I don't know. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that is funny. We do all have our biases, even Poirot. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I do think that um, what I like about them is they're always oh, yeah. typically they are servants of truth. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. It's like that's that is what really makes it them really so great. And again, is that in a world, and I think you're right. I mean, the thing that makes them it's funny because we often have as artists, we have a an idolatry of art is good if it makes you uncomfortable, and I think that that's not true. I think art is good if it's true, and truth can either make you comfortable or uncomfortable um, based on how far you are from the truth or what we want to believe, how far that is from the truth. And I think to a certain degree, mysteries are interesting because they are both, they are both comforting and true because they want us to believe that truth does actually exist and it can be discovered. Um, and that's comforting to us because we want to believe that, at least most to most people. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other uh, sort of wrap up final thoughts anybody has, uh, particularly you Bose, uh, before we wrap up? I want to know what everyone's favorite mystery shows are. Ooh, ooh, that is a good. That was a great transition into our blessings and curses of the week. <laughs> yeah, I you know I actually have a few blesses and a few curses, so this is a perfect time yeah. to go through them. So I'm gonna. I'm All right, gonna, you go, go Nathan, go. You. Okay, I will do a few blessings in response to Bose's uh, uh, query. So my favorite mysteries, having grown up on them, and we've mentioned this many, many times on the show already, but I have just been getting back into Poirot. Uh, the original BBC version okay. with David Suchet, who for me, and I know uh, it's not for everybody, but I mean, it should be because he, to me, encapsulates <laughs> the character Poirot and he does it yep. so well. And I love watching him, the attention to detail, um, his acting. It's, I love watching him take down these big bad guys all while, you know, uh, fastidiously, I've mentioned that word a couple times, uh, fastidiously, uh, you know, uh, curling his mustache or eating his food. I just love it. Um, I, I, you know, I know a lot of people are fans of these. I love the new Sherlock series. Yep. I think, and, and there is something about it. You know, I have, I have some similarities to the character of Sherlock. I have been called a no. robot yeah, a, few, <laughs> a few times in my life. And so I identify with his kind of abrasive, um, sometimes uh, blind uh, truth-telling and a little bit of smirk. And so I really love what Cumberbatch did with the character. I know it's not completely true the, to the uh, original Conan Doyle um, uh, mysteries, but I really have enjoyed those. I think I've mentioned this series. I enjoy this modern mystery series called Hidden beautiful hmm. Welsh and you, it's a lot of staring out over bleak um, lands and and uh, uh, grays and blues. It's a wonderful series. I grew up on, oh, oh, another one I want to mention is Father Gilbert. I don't know if you guys have ever listened oh. to um, Folks in the Family's radio theater, but they did a series about a priest, maybe a little bit ripping off Father Brown, but it's still really, really good. Um, and their radio dramas, they're fantastic. Okay. Um, and then one last mystery that I loved is a video game, because I always got to throw that in there. You got to throw in the video game. Is a, it's a game called Heavy Rain. And it's a murder, mm. uh, murder mystery um, about a, a serial killer. And you play all the different characters and your choices all affect the ending, every choice you make. And there is no saving and going back. If you get a character killed, the character is killed. And so it's really interesting and really fun and really beautifully made. The soundtrack was made on Abbey Road in, in London and it's a beautiful game. And my curse of the week, the, a mystery I ha have not enjoyed was the modern adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. Yes, it was visually stunning. It was, uh, you know, had a lot of great characters and actors in it who I really like. But for me, it just did not capture the person and the beauty of uh, the character of Poirot. So those are my blessings and curses. Bose, what are your favorite mysteries and what is your least favorite mystery? So I recently watched or tried to watch the Amazon adaptation of uh, Poirot's ABC Murder. Oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was a good concept. They were trying to make Poirot a little more introspective but what they ended up doing was making him more gritty and yeah yes. and gross and a creeper and i will never forgive them for this 
15 minutes into the first episode, Inspector Jap just falls over and dies. It made me so <laughs> mad. So mad. Are you yeah. kidding me? He just dies in his garden. He's not even shot by anyone. He doesn't go out in the line of fire. He just crumples. It and was he's not a fitting exit. Dead for the rest of the series. And it was infuriating. Yeah. Um, and so I do not like the Amazon Perot adaptations. And... Uh, um, I think they should have stopped making pro adaptations altogether after <laughs> Suchet finished <laughs> perfectly and there will never be a better Perot. But I would like to tell everyone, I would like to take this moment to encourage everyone to watch the show Endeavor on ITV, oh. which is. Oh my gosh. My um, mom was going to be even more of a fan of you now. Favorite <laughs> <laughs> show of all time, even better than Perot, in my opinion. Wow, um, it's been on for seven seasons. It's it's set in the Morse verse. So there was Inspector Morse in the eighties. Yep, yep. Which was a sequel show. This is a prequel to Inspector Morse, and it shows young Morse, and he's solving crimes in Oxford. And uh, basically, oh, yes. the way I sell this to people is, I say it is like. Harry Potter, if he was non-magical and a cop in Oxford in the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, I love that. That's a pretty good pitch. It's a perfect. Oh, that's great. So everyone, go watch Endeavor. I haven't seen it yet. It's on my to-watch list. And now I'm really excited because I'm almost done re-watching the uh, old Poirots. So now I need a new series. This is hey, great. Love it. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Well, I'll try to go through mine quickly. I will say... You know, growing up, my family and I watched, liked to watch Missing Mysteries together. We had a couple that we would just go through as a family, religiously watching. And I still adore them to this day. Um, the first is a Monk TV series. Yes. As someone yeah. with OCD, I approve. <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, a lot of people don't, but I, it really actually helped me as a kid. So I loved the Monk series. Yeah, I, I adored it because it was able to do both tragedy, mystery, and humor simultaneously. Hmm. And it was, and it could do, it could be any of those things. There could be a dramatic episode, it could be a funny episode, but more importantly, you know, it was about a smart person or a person who was gifted with deep problems who found a community to come around him to help him to be all he could be, even though he hmm. couldn't do it without them because he needed all their support. It's a beautiful picture of sort of a Christ-like community where we are all helping to bear each other's burdens in that way so we can be everything that we can be. So I adored that. And then also the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes mm -hmm. series, which to me is still the best Sherlock Holmes series. I like the Sherlock series. I thought it kind of devolved towards the latter uh, seasons, but mm -hmm. I the, Sher the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes was the first time I encountered a Sherlock Holmes who was kind of a jerk, um, but he was incredibly gifted, but he also had incredible personal problems and his, his relationship with Watson and the, the, kind of, the kind of mysteries and the philosophy of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle about what truth was and what justice was deeply, deeply resonated with me as well as Jeremy Brett's incredible performance. Um, lastly, I will just say, I would say that for blessing, I would say um, Knives Out was a movie that I- So good, I really enjoyed adored. it. It's a movie I, you know, if you haven't seen it and nobody spoiled it for you, I don't want to really spoil it for me. He does an amazing job at figuring out how to both celebrate and subvert the mystery genre in ways that, um, that, you know, the best, you know, miss the most biggest fan of mystery novels will not be, will be satisfied with 
but it also does something new with it, which I'm really, uh, which was very exciting to me. You don't see that often. And I was I'm very, very pleased with it. Um, curse, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have a curse. I was thinking about a curse all this time. You guys took my curses. Um, but I think, um, yeah. I don't, know. I don't know. Maybe I don't have a curse for the week. Whatever. You, you did that you last week. You concur with us that the modern yeah. ab- adaptations of Poirot are, are oh, not Oh my gosh. Just trying to, giving, giving Poirot a tragic backstory. It's like, <laughs> it's like no, I'm sorry. Don't, don't Batman him. That's not, it's not okay. Uh, yeah. I like the first act of the Poirot, um, you know, of, of the Murder on the Orient Express. Um, and then, but then he just didn't know where to go with it, personally. You know? But it wasn't Poirot. By the way, I have one more bless and one Fine. more curse. I'm so sorry. Keep it quick. Keep it quick. Okay. Um, I will. Uh, I, as a, um, I always connected with the character of Psyche. I know that this is not deep, fully fleshed out, amazing mystery. (laughs) I always love Psyche. And if you're looking for a family friendly ish mystery, this is the one I love Psyche. Um, he's snarky. He's funny. Um, and it's a fun romp. Uh, if you want a a little bit lighthearted mystery and another curse real quick is, um, Grandchester. Um, huh. I've had a few people write in and say that I look like him and I watched the first <laughs> couple seasons, which I'm not, which I'm not against. He's a very handsome man. Um, so I wish that was more true than it is, but, um, I didn't like where it went. I'll just say okay. that it, sure. it had some good, interesting beginnings, but I did not like where it went. Um, but okay. I'm done with blesses and curses. Anything cool. else, Bose, well, or you, have you said your piece? Bo, said yes. Well, first of all, yes. Any ways you want to wrap it up or, uh, anything you want to promote, uh, where people can find you or things you're coming out with soon. Mm, watch Perot, watch Endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> and and those working people connect with you, see your pithy tweets and oh, uh, see everything you're doing. Sketches at twitter.com. Say that again? At sketches by Bose at twitter.com. Perfect. Yes, please everyone go visit. Um, I find endless entertainment in scrolling through um, all of Bose's profiles because there's always, especially for the literary fans, there's always something really fun and lighthearted that uh, will at least makes an hour of my day um, a little lighter and happier and more understood. So please so check them out. So much deep cut snark. In yes. This. So much. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I feel smarter listening to this takedown. So great. <laughs> All and right. uh, for for cool. me, you Bye. can get a hold of me at nathanclarkson.me. You can find me on any socials. And please visit our new website that we're just getting up. We're going to be putting more articles and posts and reviews on there. And you can also connect with uh, any of us there to tell us what you agree or disagree with. And that's the overthinkersjournal.com. And Joseph, how can we get a hold of you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at normalguy8. You can uh, find me on Instagram at poems5905. You can find uh, my website uh, at uh, josephholmstudios.com. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Bose, for joining us. Thank, thank you. you again, Nathan. Thank you, all audiences, for joining us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Mm-hmm.